audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at either 9 or 10.30 a.m. I've always, I've always been a fan of rest. I have. Um, I think it's natural. I think, um, I think it's supernatural, as we will see today. Uh, family vacation, now don't get me wrong, I know, I know that family vacation doesn't always equal physical rest, okay, but, but there's an element of rest involved in that. Um, this is the time of year that I absolutely love. Fall by far is my favorite time of year for a whole variety of reasons. This fall is a little different because there's like no color. I mean, I know you realize this. If you want to see color with fall, you need to go at least about 100 miles to the north or to the east, and you'll start seeing some, because here, it's just brown. I mean, that's just, just the way it is. So, I mean, we've been praying for it. We want rain to come. Uh, but, hey, this is, this is my favorite time of year. I like, I like getting out into God's creation this time of year and enjoying it, and there's an element of rest to that. How about this one? Just the good old, just the good old-fashioned nap. I mean, I, I know some of you in here say that a nap is closing your eyes for 15 minutes and then opening them back up, nice little power nap. That's no nap, okay? That's a long blink. You understand what I'm saying? Okay? A nap, a nap must involve, you hear me, Don? A nap must involve at least an hour and a half, okay? That's when you've started entering that realm of, of nap. I, I like rest. I, I, I do, okay? As I told you, I think, I think it is supernatural. Do you know, what, you know what Jesus thought of as rest? And it's interesting when we say Jesus, because we are talking about God, but we're talking about an aspect of God, because God is one, but God is also three. You have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, okay? And what Jesus brings to that, to that equation is humanity, because Jesus remains God and man today. All right, he's, he's the God-man. So Jesus, from personal experience, knows the value of rest. And there were times in his life when he left to go rest. Interestingly enough, the only time we see him sleeping was in the middle of the storm. And most of the time, Jesus' rest involved him communicating through prayer with his father. But rest was important to him. Rest was so important that Jesus got incredibly frustrated with the religious leaders of the day. Who took something as valuable as rest and turned it into a responsibility slash burden. And this is what Jesus had to say about this. He's told the Pharisees, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now we'll come right around to that spot as we wrap up today. Paul and Barnabas, they've been on the road for quite some time now, at least around a year by now, that they have been on the road. And when we see them going from city to city, presenting the message of the gospel, one thing that we do not see is a lot of time for rest. Today's passage records in this first missionary journey, records their final new destination, meaning the new place that they came to with the gospel. And they then, after going to that last new place, begin their journey home. Okay? 
You know, passion can be a wonderful attribute. It can. But it can also be very dangerous and destructive and sometimes just plain stupid. Okay, I'm just, I'll give you an example. I mean, I don't know, I don't know how many of you are, are NFL fans like to, to watch. I mean, some of you, I know some of you have actually gone and watched games in person. I've never seen an NFL game in person in my life. Uh, I just watch them on TV. Something happened on Monday night TV. Now, I didn't see the game in person or on TV, but in the middle of the game, something took place in the form of someone who was not an athlete ended up on the field, dressed in pink or something and, and carrying this pink smoke bomb all, all over the place and, and proceeded to run all over the field. Just run here, run there, you know. Now, you didn't get to see much of this on TV, but, but I've seen some things on YouTube that kind of showed it just, just a little bit more. And, okay, let me tell you something. When somebody ends up on the field at an NFL football game, okay, who's not an athlete and not supposed to be there, there's usually one of two things going on. The first one is this, (laughs) but you won't do that. (laughs) There's usually just a little level of alcohol intoxication involved in that, okay? Watch them. If they can't run straight while they're dodging the, 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 the security people, there's probably a reason for that, okay? They're not just dodging the security people. Okay, so that's, that's number one there. Number two is somebody who's passionate about a cause. Like they're going to get out there and they're going to show the world what they believe in and get their message in front of everybody. I think the guy on Monday night was like some sort of animal rights guy. I think he really wanted people to go out and and deer hunt a lot. (laughs) That's not what he was after. But he's running all over the place until Bobby Wagner got a hold of him. Okay, And it was... A thing to behold. I mean, he got leveled. I mean, absolutely leveled. And I I think now, from what I understand, he's trying to sue the NFL football player who leveled him. Okay, so anyway, all that being said, if you want to see it, I I would highly recommend going to YouTube and watching Peyton and Eli Manning do their play-by-play of of the situation. It's quite humorous. They don't touch Kevin Harlan um, a few years ago when Kevin Harlan gave his own play-by-play of a guy on the field. The guy was (laughs) shirtless. He's at the 30. He's at the 25. He's at the 20. I mean, you just have to. I don't have a Kevin Harlan voice. I'm sorry. You just have to watch it. It's worth watching. I'll tell you that right now. Those warriors on the field, and I'm not talking about the athletes, they're tenacious. They've got a cause, and they want to get their cause out there. I will give them that. The other thing there are is stupid, because nobody cares about the animal rights stuff that they had all over them on Monday. They're just laughing at him. That's all they're doing and saying, I hope, I hope Bobby Wagner doesn't have to pay him because he deserved what he got, all right? See, tenacity, tenaciousness, it can be a good thing, but it can get you in a whole lot of trouble too. Let's take a look at this. Verse 19. Again, Acts 14, 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Now, we need to set this up just a little bit. In the past couple of weeks, JB and myself have talked about the disciples landing in a place called Lystra. Go ahead and pull that map up for us, Tim. Okay. First of all, before we talk about where we're at today, I want you to notice something about the snap. This is the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas, all right? So you see them, they leave Antioch. Now understand, there's two Antiochs here. We'll talk about that more in just a second. So they leave, and you got all these arrows going away, and then all of a sudden, you have arrows kind of coming back again. That's the return journey. We'll talk about that some in a little bit. 
But if you see kind of right at the top middle of the map, you see Lystra, you see Iconium right above it. Paul and Barnabas basically got kicked out of Iconium. Before, they, that, that, before that, they got kicked out of Antioch. So then they arrive at Lystra. They preach the message of the gospel to a very much a non-Jewish crowd. Okay? But those Jews from Iconium and Antioch are so concerned with these pagans. Yeah, they're not at all. Okay? Um, but they don't want the message of the gospel being preached. So now from Iconium to Lystra, we talked about this last week and a couple weeks ago, about 30 miles away or so. But from that Pisidian Antioch up there down to Lystra, we're talking about ballpark about 100 miles. And this is before, <laughs> this is before cars, this is before Uber, all right? You've got people walking 100 miles because they hear that Paul and Barnabas are there in Lystra preaching this message, and they don't want it to happen. So they travel, some of them, a hundred miles to put a stop to this. I mean, they, they're passionate people. When I think about the Jews, and I think about the Apostle Paul, I cannot help but think about Romans 10, when Paul talks about his brothers and sisters of the Jewish faith, And what he says about them is this. He says, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Oh, they had a zeal. These are some tenacious people. They travel 100 miles just to shut Paul and Barnabas up. And my goodness, Look what they do to shut them up. Look at the rest of verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Are they serious about shutting Paul and Barnabas up? Does this look like it's a little overboard here? Maybe just a little? Remember for just a second here, a side note, Paul's history. I mean, we, we remember, I mean, we haven't been talking about Paul so long to us to have forgotten about his name before he was Paul, Saul. And before he became a follower of Jesus, he persecuted Jesus, persecuted the people of Jesus. He stood and watched the very first man to lose his life for his faith in Jesus Christ and his preaching of Jesus Christ. His name was Stephen. And, and Saul, his name at the time, watched over the coats of the people who were throwing stones upon the head of Stephen. I just wonder, as Paul is being stoned here in Lystra, if the thought of irony entered his mind at all as those stones rained down upon his head. Keep in mind something, okay? Keep something in mind. Not that long ago, Probably just days before, these people in Lystra were calling Paul a god. They were saying, calling Paul Hermes, and they were calling Barnabas Zeus. To say that they were fickle would be probably not saying enough, okay? There's something else I want you to understand about the progression of what takes place here. Look again at verse 19. 
Typically, probably what happened to Stephen in Jerusalem years before is when somebody was going to be stoned to death, they would take them, pick them up, drag them, whatever you're going to say, outside the city, throw them into a place where you could go to stone people, you know, throw them into a pit and begin throwing stones at them. Look at this. This, this is not what happens in Lystra. They stone him in the city and then drag him out of it. So what I'm getting at here is you are talking about a rage here that is beyond reason. This is not a well thought out plan. They just start throwing rocks. Tenacious people, I'll tell you what. But speaking of tenacity, look what happens next. Catch the end of verse 19, supposing him to be dead. So, so they, they throw stones at him long enough that he looks dead and then they drag him out of the city and leave him in a heap. And verse 20, but while the disciples stood around him, he got up and what did he do? He entered the city. He went right back into town. JB preached a sermon to work two weeks ago called Grit. Eat your heart out, John Wayne. This is true grit right here, okay? This is the real deal. He marches right back into that city. And I'm wondering what the people who just threw the rocks at him and drug him out of the city are thinking. And I wonder if just a little bit they're second guessing their judgment in this whole process, okay? You know, I admire those who spend a lot of time on the road and maintain their sanity. And by spending a lot of time on the road, I'm talking about people who that, that's, that's part of their occupation, whether, whether it be over-the-road truck driving, whether it be going and working somewhere, whatever it might be. I am not cut out for that in any way whatsoever. To be, to be away from home for these long periods of time, I don't, I don't think, I do not think I could handle that. And, and here we have... Paul and Barnabas, and my goodness, guys, the guy just got stoned. There is no rest for the weary. The next day, they head out again. They're on that road again. Let's take a look at it. Verse 20 again. But when the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day, he went away with Barnabas to Derby. I wonder if he was sore. <laughs> I mean, there are those who debate whether or not, obviously, this was miraculous, okay, there are those who say he very well possibly could have been dead. And, and, and God brought him back to life. Now here is something about Paul in his, in his writings and his correspondence with the church in Corinth and 2 Corinthians by, more specifically. He talks about it in some ways in 1 Corinthians too. Talking about how he wears the brand marks of Jesus upon his body. I mean it doesn't mean that there was some sort of tattoo on him with JC on it or something, Okay. His scars, that's what he's referring to. I'm guessing walking to Derby the next day was a little tough, all right? On the road again, the next day they went away, he went away with Barnabas to Derby. Verse 21, after they preached, they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, 
they return to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. So they head down the road about 25, 30 miles to Derby, and uh, basically more of the same, all right? First of all, Derby was another important um, Roman frontier city. Like Pisidian Antioch, like Iconium, the Emperor Claudius, a little short of, of, a, of a century before, put the, Roman, uh, put the Roman stamp of approval on these cities, all right? We, we don't get a lot of detail about what Paul and Barnabas did here, and maybe that's a good thing, okay? It seems like when you get detail of when they go to places, it has to do with the opposition that they face. So maybe they got to Derby and... I don't know if they were there for too short of a period of time for opposition to arise. All we get is this. They preach the gospel. They preach the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the fact that many, many witnesses saw that. That's the gospel, right? That changed the world. That also changes people's lives. So they preach the gospel and it says there were many disciples there. So they go to Derby. Their mission there was successful, Apparently, the troublemakers either didn't hear about the success of Derby, or they were beginning to see that it was going to be a little bit tough to match the resiliency of Paul and Barnabas. After all, they already stoned the guy what they thought to death. Maybe they did stone him to death. And good grief. Days later, he's up preaching again. On the road again. Let me tell you something. When it comes to getting on the road, once it's time to get home, there's no pass, go collect $200. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, I don't care if it has something to do with a responsibility on the road, like a job or something, or it has to do with vacation, whatever it might be. When it's time to get home, it's time to get home. I mean, you put a dot where you're at, you put a dot where home is, you take a ruler, you draw a line, and you stay on that line. No detours, all right? I mean, my goodness, sometimes we're in puffs. Puffs the magic motor home, okay? And we got, we, got a, we got a bathroom on wheels, baby. We don't got to stop anywhere, okay? So we get home. You can ask Don and the girls. Once I want to get home, we get home, all right? Look what happens. Paul and Barnabas, they're on their way home. If we had that map up there, I could show you, and you don't need to bring it up, Tim. You could, draw, you could draw a line. Derby was like as far as they got on this journey and they're headed back. And if you went from Derby straight back to Syrian Antioch, it's still a long ways, but it's a whole lot shorter going that way than going this way. And guess what? They go this way. So let's take a look at it. Verse 21, let's repeat because it's worthy of repeating. After they preached the gospel to that city, the city of Derbe, and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Not only do Paul and Barnabas not go straight back home, they go to the very places that weeks, months earlier, some, they were run out of. Run out of violently. And they go back. Verse 22 is going to make it pretty clear to us that it wasn't like all, you know, it wasn't all roses and strawberries in these towns, all right? It wasn't like Paul and Barnabas left and it just got good for everybody who was followers of Jesus. I don't know if you like strawberries or not. It just popped in my brain. Chocolate covered strawberries are really good, by the way, okay? All right. Why is it that we have to take something good and make it unhealthy to make it taste good? I don't know why, but... Look at verse 22. 
This is what they do when they enter these cities. They strengthen the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. I'm like, okay, that's good. That's good. And saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And let me ask you, brothers and sisters, do you think it was easy in those towns to live for Jesus? If it was, why is Paul saying it's not going to be easy to live in this life for Jesus Christ? I mean, that's what that means, right? Through many tribulations, through many troubles, through many difficulties, through many trials, we must enter the kingdom of God. There are some constant themes throughout the New Testament, brothers and sisters. There's quite a few of them, actually. The main one is the one through which we get life. We have life through Jesus Christ. He said it himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So that is a constant theme. The gospel, Jesus Died, he was buried, he arose, people saw that. And because that happened, our lives can be transformed. So that is a consistent theme throughout the New Testament. There are many other consistent themes throughout the New Testament. But do you know one that is all over the place? It's this, those who share in the suffering of Christ will also share in his glory. You catch that? Because it's written all over the pages of the New Testament. Jesus put it this way. The disciple is not above his teacher. They persecuted me. They'll persecute you. Those who share in the suffering of Christ will also share in his Glory. That's an incredible thing, brothers and sisters. But it's kind of frightening, this side of that glory. So Paul and Barnabas come back into these towns to encourage these young Christians in these brand new churches because life wasn't easy. No, it wasn't that Paul and Barnabas are out of town so it all gets all good and easy now. No, because guess what? They continued to present the message of the gospel to people who needed to hear it. So the persecution continued as well. So let's see a little bit about some details of what they did in these cities. Verse 23, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. These are young churches, guys. I mean, all these churches. This, this journey, according to Bible scholars, Bible historians, lasted anywhere from a year to a year and a half. So every one of these churches is less than a year and a half, probably most less than a year old. Most times you don't have someone step into leadership within a congregation, meaning eldership, who've only been at it for six months. But when you don't have a choice, you got to do something, okay? And these brand new believers in Christ were being forged in fire because they were being persecuted 
for their faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul and Barnabas look around and say, I mean, think about these, Paul and Barnabas, they get kicked out of these cities multiple times, okay? They are soon going to be hundreds and hundreds of miles away. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, when he talks about the burdens that he bears for Christ, he talks about spending some nights in the deep. That doesn't mean that he was in the hotel deep in and fell asleep, okay? No, he was in the sea, like shipwrecked, all right? He was robbed. He was beaten. As we see, he was stoned. He talks about all these things. He was imprisoned that he endured. But do you know what he includes in those lists? He says, the daily concern on my heart for for my brothers and sisters, for the churches. There is no way that they can leave these young churches without some leadership. And something else you got to remember, that Paul and Barnabas, these are young Christians, but Paul and Barnabas very, very much had faith in the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of these people. And I have a feeling that this praying, this fasting, probably had a little bit of this too, them laying their hands on them and commissioning them to lead in these churches. So these are the things that they are doing. And then they continue to move on down the road. Let's read through it, verse 24. They pass through Pisidia, which is an entire region, all right? They came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. As I said, don't get mixed up in these Antiochs, just like today when you've got multiple cities that carry the same name, all right? Back then it was the same. Pisidian Antioch is one of the places they went to preach the gospel, but the Antioch they got sent from was several hundred miles north of Jerusalem, and it was Syrian Antioch. That was home. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that this was like where Paul and Barnabas were born or anything like that, or they had, a, they had a P.O. box there. What I'm getting at, that this was part of their spiritual home. This is the church that sent them out on this journey. You know, on a side note, biblically speaking, the very best way to send workers out into the kingdom of God doesn't happen on a college campus or in a seminary somewhere. Now, that's kind of what we've adopted in the past hundred years or so in our culture, in our society. But the best kingdom workers come from churches sending them out. Okay. Churches sending them out. Raising up workers for God's kingdom in the church. You see, this church in Antioch had a vested interest in this trip that Paul and Barnabas just went on, okay? I have, I mean, they prayed for them. They laid hands on them. They commissioned them by the Holy Spirit to go and take this journey and preach the gospel, a journey that took them over 1,200 miles and lasted, as I said, over a year, probably closer to a year and a half. I would be willing to bet that these, because my goodness, when you see this These Christians of Antioch, remember that's the very first place that the name Christian came about was in Syrian Antioch. And they were generous people. 
And I got a feeling that they help support financially this mission as well. They were invested in this themselves. So they want to hear about it. Look at verse 27. When they arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all the things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So they get home and guess what, guys? It's story time. It's time to let the church know what happened this last year and a half. And it's very interesting to me, look at it. When you take verse 26 and you lay it there side by side with verse 27. Uh, I love to write in my Bible. I hope, you, I, hope you like, I hope you write in your Bible as well, okay? And, and I underlined something in verse 26. I underlined something in verse 27, and then I put a line between them, all right? Because there's two things at work here in this trip that we need to take a look at and understand. First of all, look at verse 26. What I underlined there was this. The work they had accomplished. So this past year and a half or so, Paul and Barnabas are out on this missionary journey and they worked hard for the Lord. They had been commissioned by the church in Antioch to go and do this. Guess what? They went and did it. (laughs) They went and did it. So, but then when I look at verse 27, I see this. They began to report all the things that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. That's what we have to remember when it comes to kingdom work for the Lord. Who's the one really doing the work? God. Absolutely. Who's opening the door of people's hearts to hear and respond to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? God. How does God choose to work in this world? Through his instruments. Through his people. So Paul and Barnabas come back and say, hey, we did what you sent us to do. And we worked hard and it was successful. But the reason it was successful is because God was the one doing the work. And it is a privilege, a privilege to be used by him, to do his work. There's something else from this I think that we need to be very, very aware of. Paul and Barnabas come back and they report what happened. This church as a whole supports missions. Now, the leadership, the elders of this church, want that to continue to grow, okay? And what that means is, as the church grows, as the finance, financial part of the church grows with it, the giving to those who are doing the Lord's work on the mission field needs to grow as well, okay? The other thing is, I know for a fact that there are people in this room right now who also support missions of different kinds, some domestically and some overseas, and you do it on your own, whether it be supporting a student overseas, whether it be supporting 
an orphan in North Africa. Whether it be, ah, this missionary that, that I know have a connection to him from years ago and I appreciate he and his wife and their work, you know, in Uganda. And we support him. There's something about supporting missions that all of us need to understand because the majority of us in this room are senders, not goers. You you know what that means, right? When it comes to missions, you you do one of two things. There's there's no third option, okay? There's only two options. You go yourself or you send others. There's no option of sitting out. I'm bowing this one out. No, that's not biblically available, okay? So here's the thing. And all of you have a part in that because you financially give to a church that financially gives to missionaries. And as I said, many of you give of your own volition to missions as well. But supporting missions is more than writing a check. Do do we understand that? It, it It is much more than writing a check. Writing a check is important. Matter of fact, some places in this world that are very difficult to get to, understand something. If you, if you support a missionary there and you say, hey, I'd like to come um, visit you and maybe do a little work with you. You got a project for me or something. Some of those in those really, really difficult places the world will get to, if they're honest, will tell you, um, love you, but don't come. But tell you what, send the money that you would spend getting here so we can use that. <laughs> And you might be like, well, that's not right. Well, here's the truth. That money will do more work than you could by being there. But supporting missions is more than writing a check. So what are you saying, preacher? If I can't go there myself, what more is there to do? Here's what's to do. Be informed. Do you pray for missionaries that you support? We, we, we are fans of band here. I'm not talking about a rock band, okay? All right? A band, that's how we communicate. We have DC Connect. We communicate in that way, stuff. There's another band out there that, that has to do with CARA, one of the missions that we support. And that band is for one purpose, so that people who support CARA can know what to pray about. And there were multiple parts of that that went out this week. Because as you've probably hopefully seen and heard and hopefully praying about, things are tough in Car, things are tough in Haiti right now. So what they're trying to do is to get more and more of a direct route from the United States to there so people can be there to help. Because Haiti's close enough that you can actually get there comparatively rather cheaply than other parts of the world. And they do value people coming down and working through medical missions and building things and all kinds of sorts of stuff. So basically this week there was a prayer request that went out about a plane to be, for lack of a better terminology, to be commissioned, to be registered, which is not an easy process in Haiti because there's a lot of red tape and a lot of corruption so that there can be direct route, direct flights to, to try to stay away from some of the tough parts of Haiti. I don't know how many of us knew about that prayer request though. If you support somebody on the mission field, we as a church supports people. We need to stay in touch because let me tell you something, informed prayer is a powerful, powerful thing. First of all, it lets me know what to be praying about. 
Now, God knows everything, and if you just pray for a, a mission, God will know what's going about there. But here's the thing. To be able to pray specifically for something, for somebody who's on that mission field is so vitally important, not just for our prayer life, but it lets the missionary know that I care about what he or she's doing. And I want to know so I can pray for them. Paul and Barnabas get back. They are welcomed back to Antioch with open arms. They're missionaries, folks, and they come back. They tell the church what has happened in this past year and a half, and I'm betting you there's some celebrating going on. Knowing Paul and knowing from his writings, he probably didn't say a whole lot about the bruises or the scars on him, but Barnabas probably spoke up about it a little bit, you know. Man, a lot. That's what you had to deal with in Lystra? My goodness. And the Lord raised you back up again? Wow. But look what happens in verse 28. I got this one underlined in my Bible. And I've got one word written beside it. And they spent a long time with the disciples. The word I have in all caps, it's a four-letter word, rest. You know, it's kind of funny. Sometimes in order to really drive home a point, you kind of say the, the opposite of. Does that make any sense? In the Greek, they do this. In the New American Standard, that's what I read from. It says they spent a long time with the disciples. In the Greek, it literally means this. They spent not a little time with the disciples. <laughs> and those, those Bible historian, Bible scholars that I've talked to you about, those who try to put together somewhat of a timeline of, of Acts, taking contemporary writings of the day and putting them together with the Bible, that timeline shifts and changes sometimes because there's a new discovery every now and again. But according to most of them, they spent probably about a year there in Antioch, resting from their journey. I'm going to tell you something. Simply put, Paul and Barnabas, they were worn out. They were flat, worn out. Now, we know a little something about Paul and Barnabas from Scripture. They never stopped preaching the message and encouraging people. So I'm guessing they continued right on preaching Paul, writing more than likely. But they rested. And think for a moment what a blessing it was for Paul and Barnabas after a year and a half, after being stoned, after being persecuted, after experiencing incredible success for the gospel as well. Think what a blessing it was to come home and rest. Rest. 